All right, we're at commandment number four. Oh, it's been a while, by the way. My name is Andrew Henley. I'm, as they would, they would say at a country church, I'm the preacher. But I've not been doing a whole lot of preaching lately. Uh, it's been four weeks I've had off out of the pulpit. And so I just want to say thank you to our elders for letting me have that time. I achieved nothing in four weeks. I wrote no big papers. I did no grand vision t- casting. Um, I read a few books on parenting in my, more my spare time. And in God's providence, uh, it, our, our family life was impossible during the four weeks. And so in all reality, God gave me that four weeks in his, in his providence to make sure I was home more uh, for my family and for my wife and for my kids and some of the needs that we had there. And so I thank you as a church for your steadfastness to us. Um, God did, uh, didn't have me write a paper or advance vision too much here, but Lord willing, and I think he did this, he moved the needle in regards to my holiness. And as Weber said last week at the installation of Andy, the quote from Robert Murray McShane, what this church most needs is not my great skills or my great vision casting, but this church needs my holiness. So, Lord willing, God did that in me. All right, Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. Exodus chapter 20, we hit the fourth commandment this morning. In 1808, in 1808, there was a guy named Hugh Wiley. Hugh Wiley. Um, and Mr. Wiley was excommunicated. He was removed from his Presbyterian church in western Pennsylvania. And you ask, my goodness, what was this man's offense? Was it adultery? Did he cheat on his and leave his family? Did he murder somebody? No, no, no. Mr. Wiley, it had found out that he, they said that had violated the fourth commandment. You see, Mr. Wiley, the postmaster general had ordered Mr. Wiley because of a particular issue going on in that region. Mr. Wiley was the postman. That Mr. Wiley was to open up the post office and continue to distribute the mail, even on Sundays for a period of time. And the church elders came to him and said, you must choose your job or your church. And he chose his job. And they kicked him out of the church. What in the world do we do with the fourth commandment? Sabbath keeping. There is a mix of all sorts of traditions in the history of Christianity of the church in regards to the Sabbath. Some have traditions that can be described as nothing else than oppressive. Other traditions um, are, are simply, they're not really traditions really at all. They're more traditions that are born out of the lack thereof. They don't give any thought to what it would look like to keep the fourth commandment. Some hold the the Sabbath in great and high regard, as I would call you to do. Like one old Scottish preacher who said this, We firmly believe that no other means is of more importance or calculated to confer great blessing on man as being faithful to the Lord's day, to the Sabbath. While others view the Sabbath as as best an option to observe. They view it as church day at best. Will we go to church? Will we not? And that's about the extent of maybe what they think about the Sabbath. What do we do with the Sabbath? Exodus chapter 20, we're going to be in verses 8. As you see there, why don't you all stand with me as I read God's word as we'll read through verse, verse 11. Hear God's word. I'll read out loud and you read silently along with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you 
or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This ends the holy reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but the word of our God stand forever. You may be seated. Well, we're going we're gonna to spend not just one, but two Sundays on um, this idea of rest and Sabbath keeping. Um, I found when as I got into it, there's, there's a little bit too much. We'll probably also spend two Sundays on murder, and then the rest of the Ten Commandments, we'll, it'll suffice to, to catch the commandments in, in one Sunday. But this one, because of some of the things that need to be clarified, um, I need to spend a Sunday doing some heavier level instruction, some teaching in regards to the Sabbath, and then next week I hope to do uh, what maybe you might call a little more gospel-centric look at the Sabbath, the Jesus focus on how and how he uses the Sabbath keeping in us to change us and change our lives. But this morning is going to be a little bit more about what is the Sabbath and a little bit more about what it means to keep the Sabbath and the practicalities that go that go with that. So I think the last time I preached, I said I'm doing it via a didactic means. That is, I'm going to ask you questions, and I'm going to provide you answers, and that's what we're going to do again this morning. Four questions for you to walk through, and then what I'll do is, uh, it'll be on the screen, we'll have questions, but I'll go through the questions step by step, or my answers to the questions step by step. So the first question this morning is this, what is the Sabbath? The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. Well, what in the world is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath, we're actually going to look at the end of the commandment itself to help us learn what the Sabbath is and what it means to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the basis of the commandment, as we see here, is grounded in the Lord's creative rhythm that happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It's there, it quotes it. And verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But on the seventh day, the Lord rested. This is called, this means that the fourth commandment is a creation principle. It looks all the way back to the beginning of the world in regards to where it, it grounds itself as a commandment. And this, this means there's some key insights that we can glean from this, this, this reality as to this being a creation principle. And first is this. Here we see in the fact that God rests, it shows us what it means for us to rest. We are told here by God resting what it means for us to rest. We're told in this passage that God rested on the seventh day. He spent six days creating, and on the seventh day he rested. What does that mean? Does that mean God became completely inactive on the seventh day? That he didn't do anything? No, in fact, in John 5, Jesus says that both he and the Father are eternally active. They're both working. It doesn't mean that God's Sabbath keeping doesn't mean he is inactive, nor does your Sabbath keeping mean you grow inactive. If you want to put it together, what it means is this, is is the Lord spent six days creating, and then he sat down and he rested, and I'm going to say he rested by enjoying his creation. Let me illustrate it in this way. Let's say you're one of those really cool kind of uh, renaissance men who makes things with wood. Don't you, 
as men, we just want to make things with wood. Our colognes have, the, have wood smells to them. We, our, if we, my wife is looking for me a line of candles that are made for men, and they all have the words cedar and tobacco in them. We, the idea of being a man is you work with wood. So let's say you're one of those great guys who, gets to, who works with wood, and you've got skills in that area, and you decide you're going to make yourself a boat, a small boat to take out in one of the local, uh, local lakes around here. And you, so you, you go, you buy the wood, and you shape the wood, and you nail the wood, and, and you do everything you need with that boat, and you nail in that last nail, and then you rest from your work. Now, does that mean you just sit back and do nothing? What would it mean? What would it look like to, to say, I'm stopped, I've stopped my creative work with the boat? It means you take the boat out, you put it on the water, and you sit in it, and you enjoy it. That's what it means to rest from your work. And that's what it means for God to have rested. He ran the boat. He created all the things in the world, the heavens and the earth, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. He made man, male, male and female and made them in his image. He said that it is all very good. And he sat back and he looked at all he created and he said, this is awesome. And he enjoyed it. That's what it means for God to rest. He was satisfied with what he had done. And so therefore, that's what it means for us to rest. To have a day where you sit back and you say, what I have accomplished And what God has accomplished through me, this is enough for today. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to rest in who God is and what he has done. I'm going to enjoy his creation. I'm going to enjoy my creator. So that's one insight it brings in regards to Genesis chapter 2. The second insight we can also see is this. Is God is placing the very DNA of the rhythm of the world, the need for rest. That God rested himself. Now, did God need for, he didn't need to rest himself, but he gave it to us to rest. That we get to rest. In fact, this is the rhythm of the world that he has provided. That farmers have found that if you give, you give fields a rest once at, over, over so many years, that, that that ground can then become more fruitful. In fact, God has actually put this rhythm not just in the weekly life of his people Israel, but you also know that in every seven years, all debts were to be forgiven. Every 49 years, all the family lands to which God had originally delegated to the Israelites in the promised land was to be returned to them. It was called the year of Jubilee. That God has put these these rhythms into our lives. And so we see that a Sabbath, a Sabbath is, above anything and everything else, is a day of rest, a day of enjoying our relationship with God, a day of enjoying God's creative work, a day of enjoying all of God's creative work through us. Through us. In fact, it's the beauty of the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were given this great calling that God created them. And in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, after God had created them, He gave them what is called the creation mandate. He said, Adam and Eve, I have made you and I have made you for work to have dominion and dynasty, to be fruitful and multiply, to expand the garden to the end of the earth. That was on the sixth day when God made them. But the first day, right after he has given them that commandment, you know what God does? He says on the seventh day, their first full day in this world, he turns to them and says, sit down and rest with me. Which means this, before the world was broken, what we were meant to do is all of our work was to flow out of our enjoyment and satisfaction and who God is and in his creation. But we broke the world. We broke the world, but God has still given us a a remembrance of that former day and a day in which we could look ahead when he would restore and make all things new. And so the second thing I want you to see in answering the question, what is the Sabbath? First, the Sabbath is a day of rest. 
And the second part of the sentence is, the Sabbath is day of rest from our work. It's a day of rest from our work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Specifically and especially, the commandment means that you are to stop. It means ceasing, a cessation, a stopping from our labors, from our vocations, from the movement forward, and to sit and rest and enjoy God has given to us. Primarily, it usually means your vocational labors, your financial pursuits, the things that enrich you and provide for you in this world. Almost all the time in which God identifies the Sabbath and what is Sabbath breaking, it almost always involves this idea of business or money-making activities. For example, a very, a one is, is found in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 18. And this is Nehemiah coming and scolding the people of Israel for their unfaithfulness. And what are they unfaithful about? Sabbath keeping, and here's what he says. In those days, Nehemiah says, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loaves which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath Jeremiah 17, we see the same thing. A prophet goes to Israel and says, you're not keeping the Sabbath and God's judgment will come down upon you because of this. But the point is this, is that whatever is your job, whatever is your way of making money, you do it for six days perhaps, but the seventh day, the Sabbath, is a day of ceasing. Now listen, this, you can do many, many things as a part of your Sabbath day, but what makes it special in particular is that you cease all of these vocational activities, no matter what kind of work you do, whether it's mentally strenuous work, perhaps you're like Dan and Nadia, and most of your work is teaching and in a book, and you're sitting at a desk. Some of you, it's more physically laborious, but you cease that work. For some of you, what constitutes work is obvious. For others, such as mothers who don't work outside the home, that can be more challenging to figure out what it means to cease your work and your labors. If you're a student, if you're a student, you're a college student, University of West Georgia, it means on the Sabbath day, you cease your studies. You take a break. You don't study. My dad talks about how he was dismayed in seminary that he would find the guys who were studying for the, for the ministry is they were consistently studying on Sunday. And one of his friends who did this all the time, he would go to and say, well, my ox is in a ditch, which is what Jesus says in the New Testament, saying, listen, it's okay if you're, to get your ox out of a ditch, but the problem was this guy's ox, in other words, his homework, had been in the ditch since Friday, and he waited till Sunday night to get his ox out. Listen, so what is the Sabbath? What is Sabbath keeping? It is a Sabbath day, a day of rest from our work. That's the general principle. All right, question number two. So first question, what is the Sabbath? Second question is this, why has God given the Sabbath? I'm going to be very brief on this because we're going to go into this in much greater depth next week. It's going to be, this is going to be more of a focus of our time. But principally, it is a day of rest. 
Therefore, why has God given you the Sabbath? To rest. It is a gift to you. Now, if you work seven days a week, and, and honestly, we got to begin to think of the Sabbath in this way because we have seen it, and perhaps it's the way it's been applied in so many places, as we see the Sabbath as a curse, as something that's going to get in the way of our fun. But what if you were to think of it in terms of this? If you work seven days a week in the hot sun to keep your life and your limb together without any scarce time for rest or leisure or reflection, would you consider it a burden if you, would you consider it a burden if your God came to you and said this, I want you to take one day in seven, 14% of the days of your life, I want you to stop and spend time with me. Now, does that sound all that offensive? Does that sound like a God who just wants to squish your front, a God who doesn't really want you to enjoy things? No, this is not a cruel command. This is a gift from a loving God who knows what you need and knows your weaknesses and knows desperately you need time with him. So, why has God given us the Sabbath? He has given us the Sabbath as a gift, as a gracious gift in which we get to rest. Now, here's here's what's critical, though. Not only does God communicate to us that he has given us a gift of, of rest, but God also tells us what is most restful to us. You know what that is? Himself. Getting him. Spending time with him. And this is where it may feel like maybe God is squishing your fun. But if squishing your fun, if if spending time with God in worship is squishing your fun, then let me tell you something. You may not actually love God that much. Because that is the command. His great blessing and gift to you is this. I have given you rest. And my rest, the place where you primarily find it is this, is in me. Therefore, the answer to the question, why has God given us the Sabbath? First, it's to give us rest. But the, the sentence continues. It is to give us rest in the Lord's, to give us rest in the Lord. What we see is that Sabbath day throughout the Old and New Testament is spent in this. God's people spend it in focused times of worship, scripture reading, prayer, meditation, fellowship with one another. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, we see the commandment about the Sabbath once again. It says there, six days shall your work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Now, that's a weird word. Only people who go to like get a master's degree know what the word convocation is, and even that, we're not even sure what it is. We go to a convocation. The word convocation means it's the assembling of a large body of people. In other words, those who say that Sabbath is for me and whatever I want to do, I would say, no contraire, Señor. It is always within and instilled within what it means to keep the Sabbath is you get together with God's people for the worship of your great and awesome gods. A holy convocation. The twin engines of Sabbath keeping is this, rest and worship. Rest and worship. We rest But God also communicates to us that the ceasing of work is for the purpose of us to get time with him, with him. You see, the whole reason why, if you remember back when Moses went to Pharaoh and the various debates that Moses and Pharaoh would have when Moses would come to, to, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and Pharaoh would say, why should I let your people go? And Moses would say, because God has wa- wants them to come out into the desert to worship him. Why has God set us free from our enslavement to work and so that we might better enjoy and worship him? That is what the Sabbath is for. That is where your rest is. We'll look more at that next week. The question is, can you find rest there? 
Psalm 62, as we'll look at it next week, my soul finds rest in God alone. We rest from our work so that we will be free to worship God and we worship God by trusting him that we, he will provide for us even when we have ceased our labors. Here's a third part of the answer. Why has God given us the Sabbath? So he's given us the Sabbath in order to give us rest in the Lord as well as our neighbors. As well as our neighbors. There is an element of justice in Sabbath keeping. It actually connects to the sixth and the eighth commandment quite clearly as well. And the tenth commandment in regards to coveting. Listen, the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament, you may notice a special emphasis that is given to those who are enslaved or who are servant, those who are day laborers. In Exodus chapter 20, it is not simply for you and your upper middle class family to enjoy rest. What does it say? On that day you shall not work you, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, not only that, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 14, and it says this, and when it repeats the same uh, verse, or the same command, it says, and it says, you have the Sabbath day in order that your servants and maidservants might rest with you, even as you do. The purpose of the Sabbath ordinance from God is to protect laborers whose bosses may look at them as merely cogs in a machine and would wear them out with labor and work. This is what God's kingdom looks like, brothers and sisters. And if you own a business, if you manage people, this is one of your God-ordained responsibility is to care for those under you, is to make sure that they actually get a day off. It is a reflection of what God has given to us in the way his kingdom is supposed to work. Listen, we are not to steal from men their very lives or their labors by overworking them. By the way, this is, this is to me, one of the great sins of corporate America. I had a, I had a friend who, I had, I had a couple roommates actually who were quite bright, and they both worked to, went to work for large Wall Street firms and what they said was amazing was they would call me and we'd talk at the very, you know, the little bit of time in which they had. And they said it was amazing that the benefits that they would get as a part of these firms. And one guy would tell me about how in their, in their kind of common space in their kitchen area, he could go in and he could write food down from any restaurant or a smoothie or from any place in the city. And within an hour, it would arrive and be in the, in the kitchen for him. But he said, with every single one of those benefits, they would suck more of your life out of you. They would always demand more. Here's the, here's the summary of what we're talking about here is the why God has given us the Sabbath. It's from Paul Tripp. Here's what he says. The Sabbath was a big deal, and God was saying it through it. I am the creator God who will care for your needs, and embedded in the rhythm of your week will be an opportunity to rest. And you will do this because I, the Lord your God, rested on the Sabbath, and you will do it because I continue to be at work on your behalf on the Sabbath. That's what it means why God has given us to answer why has God given us the Sabbath. So you might have rest in the Lord as well as those around you. By the way, my, my family, as a, as a kid growing up, we were not allowed to go out to eat on Sundays. You know why? So that we would not be the cause of somebody else having to work. In America, we used to do this, right? They were called blue laws. It wasn't just about alcohol. Theaters were closed. Restaurants were closed. Everything was shut down. But now, who is the greatest patrons of the restaurants on a Sunday? It is God's people, God's people, 
causing other people to work. Question three. Question three. How does the Sabbath commandment apply to Christians? Yeah. Yeah, pastor. What about grace and Jesus? And I don't know. This is, we're not doing this. We're not doing this no work thing. And what are you telling me about this? Are, are we required to keep the Sabbath still? Are you after Jesus? Or must Christians keep the Sabbath and keep the fourth commandment just as they did in the Old Testament? Here's my answer to that. I'm going to give you the whole answer, but then I'll break it down this time. My answer is this, is yes, you are required to keep the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, in its general principle, but there is great freedom in the specifics. Yes, in general principle, but there is great freedom in the specifics. First, let me get to the yes as a general principle. When, why, what is the basis of the commandment given to us here in the fourth commandment? Is it based on the cultural context in which Israel is living? Is it based on that time and place? No. The basis was God said, I rested, therefore I'm giving you rest. It is a creation ordinance that supersedes the Mosaic Covenant. It is, expands across redemptive history so that you and I have this, this commandment and indeed this great gift and this blessing that we are to take a day of rest. Not to mention that, I would say this, that the practice of the New Testament church that what we see is while they switched the day in which they Sabbath kept from Saturday to Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day, and they did that because it's the Lord Jesus was risen from the dead on Sunday with the first day of the week, and therefore that's when they celebrated the Sabbath. That's when they rested and they met together. They, they, they met together in assembly to worship the Lord. And what we see is the practice of the New Testament, while it's not commanded of a specific day in the New Testament, what we see is the practice of the New Testament is this, is they continue to keep the Sabbath day. But I would say that as many of the specifics and the stringent laws that you will find in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, about Sabbath keeping no longer apply to us. But the New Testament ethos on this matter is one of great freedom. And so, yes, in general principle, you are to take a day. You are to take a day, and you are to cease your labors. But some of the specifics, you know, there's places in Leviticus, actually in Numbers chapter 15, where a guy goes out and he collects sticks, and they stone him to death for violating the Sabbath. You're allowed to collect sticks on the Sabbath. Most likely, he was doing that as part of his vocation. He was maybe a stick seller. A firewood collector, I don't know, but that was the issue. But there is, more, there is great freedom in the New Testament. The context of the New Testament was this, that what happened around the Sabbath and around the law of the Sabbath was that the scribes and teachers and the Pharisees had taken the Old Testament requirement for Sabbath keeping, and they had actually created a book and books of laws around what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy. Let me give you a few examples of some of the laws that they created. One, you could not tie or loosen knot. That was forbidden. Perhaps that is why Velcro was invented, by the way. Um, If you sewed more than one stitch or wrote more than one letter of the alphabet, that was considered working and breaking the Sabbath. You could not reset a foot or hand that was dislocated. Therefore, if somebody next to you dislocated their arm or their shoulder, you could say, sorry, bro. I mean, ain't nothing I can do about it. They had all of these archaic and nuanced rules. The teachings were very really rigid at the time. In, in fact, there have been times where Christians have done this exact same thing. 
And in colonial days in England, the Puritans had a 39-page document on what it looked like on all the ordinance and duties of keeping the Sabbath. John Owen, who was a Puritan himself, and not exactly an uh, a antinomian sort of guy who kind of shirked the law himself, but he wrote this, a man can scarcely in six days read over all the duties that are proposed to be observed on the seventh day. But Jesus, what he does is he enters the stage, and he enters the scene, and what we see is account after account where Jesus seems to purposely do things on the Sabbath in order to engage this very issue of Sabbath keeping. Let me run through some of them. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus' disciples are picking grain, grains off of wheat and eating them, and the Pharisees are really ticked off about this, and Jesus says to them, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm in charge of what happens on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man. The point here is that we ought to do good, that mercy on the Sabbath is a good thing. They get mad at Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath, right? It's the whole dislocated issue. And Jesus is like, this guy's got, he's dislocated. And what he says to them is mercy is better than sacrifice. Being merciful, that is at the heart of the law. And again, what we see is what we looked at the beginning of the series is God's law is a law of love. A law of love, and so you look at the spirit of the law, a law of love and mercy. In Mark chapter 13, again, we see Jesus heals a crippled woman. And what we see here is what Jesus points out here in Mark chapter 13 is that the Sabbath is a day of freedom. He sets this woman free from her disabilities. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus heals a man with dropsy. And what he says is the Sabbath is a day for healing and for restoration. But what we find through it all is Jesus doesn't break the fourth commandment. He doesn't break God's commandments. He did break the customs and traditions that they had built around the fourth commandment. But the fourth commandment, what we need to understand is this, from Jesus, is the Sabbath is not meant to be oppressive. But the Sabbath is about giving life and about giving mercy and about giving healing and about giving freedom and restoration. That's what the Sabbath is about. And therefore, the ethos of freedom and grace, it continues throughout the rest of the New Testament. For example, we see in texts that that there's even warnings about making sure in the church that we don't have fights about which day should be the Sabbath day. You may be familiar, there's a particular denomination out there in in the strain of Christianity called the Seventh-day Adventists, in which one of their central tenets is this, is that you must worship on Saturday, because that was the day in which the Israelites worshiped. But in Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this, one person estimates one day as better than another, while another estimates all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What Paul is talking about here are the Jewish holy days, the various feasts that they would have, and included within those ceremonies holy days was the Sabbath. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul again says this, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There is freedom about which day we should celebrate the Sabbath. When we see what we see throughout is that Christian churches gathered on Sunday as a commemoration of the resurrection. But we are, we are not bound by the Jewish Sabbath of Saturday, or even necessarily do I think we're bound by the, by the Lord's Day Sabbath of the New Testament on Sundays. 
In the Jewish system, and the rhythm that God has given to us is this. Six days you shall work. And by the way, the Jewish system didn't have names. They didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then, and then the Sabbath. It was one, two, three, four, five, six, Sabbath. That's how it went. Only one day got, the, got a name. Everything else was a number. Therefore, and God has not articulated or dictated which day that is. The New Testament believers celebrated on Sunday, but the principle that we are to follow is six and one. Six and one. Now, let me give a caveat to this. I will say that there is wisdom. Some would say, some Christians, in fact, many people within our own confession would say that it is, the, it is Sunday that is the required day for you to take your Sabbath. I would say that there is great wisdom in that, although I don't believe it's the requirement of the New Testament's. There is wisdom in doing that because for the majority of you to have your Sabbath on Sunday. For instance, and for example, one, because most churches meet on Sunday. And one of the critical and primary thing you're to do for rest is to meet with God's people for worship. Not to mention we have been given this cultural common grace where the majority of businesses are closed on Saturday and Sunday. And so, yes, I think there is great wisdom in meeting on the Lord's Day, calling the Lord's Day Sunday. Here's what John Piper says to summarize our answer to this question. So Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath, but to dig it out from the mountain of legalistic sediment and to give it to us as a blessing again rather than a burden. It is a day for showing mercy and a day for doing good. It should not be governed rigidly by narrow definitions of what is work and what is not. It is a day to focus on the Lord. And now Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so it is the day to focus on Jesus. So we ask the question, are Christians, what does it mean for Christians to keep the Sabbath? In general, yes, you still, you are held and you are blessed with the command, brother and sister, the command to take one day out of seven and rest with your Lord and God's. But there is great freedom in how you spend that day. Now, let's get down to the practicalities then. This is our last question for this morning. How do we practically set the Sabbath apart What's the commandment say? Remember the Sabbath holy, the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That is to set it apart, to make it special. What does it look like to keep it special? Many people over the, over the years have, have asked this question in the churches and people have come up with varying degrees of, 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 of wisdom and commands to what it looks like to practically set the Sabbath apart. There has been much disagreement on this. Some of you may remember that the famous Olympian Eric Little refused to run on the Olympics on a Sabbath day. Some say, in some, in, in some, in some traditions of the church, they would say that there is no TV allowed and no recreation and no eating at restaurants on the Sabbath day. And what, but what we must remember, I'm going to give you some wisdom here, that I have some practical ways to guide you and what it looks like in asking this question of what it looks like in your life to set the Sabbath day apart but understand the principle is this. There is great freedom in Christ Jesus. There is a command, yes, and that command is for your joy. And in that joy and in that commandment, there is great freedom. But here's some practical advice. So how do we practically set the Sabbath apart? Here's your answer. First part of it, by planning your Sabbath. By planning your Sabbath. Planning ahead. It is a shame that God has given us one day in particular that is a, to be a great blessing to us, and it surprises us every week. Oh, it's Sunday again. I had no idea. 
Oh, okay, let's do this. All right, what do we, oh, oh man, I got to get the kids in the car, everybody out. Let's go, let's get to church. No planning is done. Listen, what I mean by this is you should plan beforehand to make the Sabbath as much a restful a day as possible, which means this, you shouldn't probably be doing yard work on Saturday. Do your yard work on, sa- on Sunday, on, not do it on Sunday, do it on Saturday. Clean your house Organize, arrange your house on Saturday so that you can, like God did, kick your feet up and go, isn't this a great house? I hate my house most of the time. You know why? Because that's junk all over the place. If I cleaned it on Saturday, suddenly on Sunday, I'm going, this is great. There's a candle burning. I mean, it's awesome in here. Like this, it's a beautiful day. Complete your vocational work on Saturday. If you're a student, finish your studies on Saturday. God gave you how many days to work? Five? No, 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 not five. Six days to work. You can actually do homework on Saturday. It's allowed. That way, that way, on Sunday, you can get time with the Lord. Cook meals for Sunday on Saturday. Plan ahead so that Sunday is easy. Now listen, you can dig your ox out of a ditch. What that means is this, you can do things that are of necessity. But I would also say this, there is great wisdom in removing as much of the necessities as possible before you get to Sunday. Get them out of the way so that you can enjoy them. If you're going to have people over on Sunday, have a simple meal. Listen, it would be great. It would take away from you this idea that my work as the most amazing, hospitable, southern woman, that that work is pushed to the side, and that I can feed feed people Subway and chips, and God's people can still commune together. It can happen, really, without flower arrangements and without all sorts of your house looking amazing. If you, if you do CC with your homeschool kids, don't pl- plan your kids to do their presentation on Sunday. Plan it on Friday or Saturday. If your kids are in public school, don't wait for them to do their studies on, on Sunday. Have them do it on Saturday. Remove as many of the necessities of, as, of life as possible. Only one day of the week in which can I can remember can my parents being concerned about what time I went to bed, and it was Saturday. I I was homeschooled. I was in this super tight, rigid household. I had no curfew except on Saturday nights because my parents wanted me to come home to get rest, prepare myself physically to spend time with the Lord the next day. Listen, so often what we think of Sunday as is we think of it as the recovery day. And so we spend Friday and Saturday doing is going, I mean, we just kind of go like crazy. And so we see Sunday as collapse day. Here's what I want you to see. Sunday should be climax day. It should be the day in which your energy hits an all-time high because you get to be with God, not that you're recovering from essentially a fun-time hangover from Friday and Saturday. You should plan ahead for it. Prepare your heart and your body for Sunday worship. And then I'd also say this, a part of planning ahead is this, is you should create rhythms. Do the same thing over and over and over again on your Sabbaths. Do the same thing over and over again on your Saturdays to get, a, get ready. Develop some routine so that you may enjoy your Sabbath week in and week out. All right, so that's the first part of the answer. By planning your Sabbath, the second part of the sentence is this in the answer. By planning your Sabbath around the restful priority of worship. Listen, we, often what the Sabbath discussion digresses to is this. In fact, we have a guy in our presbytery, everybody, every guy who comes for ordination as he is examined, when they talk about the Sabbath and his views on the Sabbath, we have a guy who asks this question, are you allowed to watch football on the Sabbath? Are you allowed to go to an Atlanta Falcons game or Atlanta United game on the Sabbath, on Sunday? 
There's a part of me that wants to say, that's the wrong question. Kind of like when teenagers come to you and say, how far can we go physically without sinning? And you want to go, I'm not sure that's the right question. <laughs> I, I feel like this is the wrong question we're asking. Like, Sundays, Sundays, Sundays are, are great. So we, we sh- I don't want to necessarily digress into the negative. But what I would say this, let's talk about the positive things we're to be doing on Sunday, on the Sabbath. And the priority is this, for you to get time with your God, with your creator. Now, that def- almost definitely means this, that if your sporting events are causing you or your children to miss church or miss extended time with the Lord, then they're out, because the priority is to get rest with the Lord, to rest your body and your soul. But I think if you set the priority of worship corporately with your family and individually, and you set that in your schedule, again, plan ahead, then everything else may fall into place around it. And we'll stop having these inane conversations about whether we can watch Sunday night football, if it's after dark or whatever, or something like that. But we, what we are to do, the positive here is that we are to make space As you plan ahead, you make your plans for the Sabbath around worship. That's why God made it, for you to rest in him. Israel's Sabbath included worship together. Make that part of your Sabbath. Every Sunday, brothers and sisters, understand this. Again, the early church celebrated the Sabbath on Sunday, the first day of the week, because it was the resurrection. Every Sunday is resurrection Sunday. That's what they're saying. In fact, here's the the redemptive narrative in regards to the Sabbath. Was it with John Raglan at lunch this last week, and we were talking about this sermon, and he, he pointed this out, so I want to give credit where credit's due. But the, the, the redemptive history is this. First in creation, man rests first and then works. In our broken world, God gives us a command where we work for six days and then rest. And in the resurrection, in Jesus and in the gospel, what we find is this. It's flipped once again where the rest, the Sabbath happens on the first day, and then we work the rest of the six days. That the timing and the calendar, the redemption of the calendar of the weekly life, we live, Sundays are resurrection Sundays. And I might add this, if you struggle to have family devotions, and you're one of those people, like every dad I talk to, and you go, hey, you doing family devotions? They're like, oh, I tried this, and, and there's just guilt. I mean, you're just like, we just, we just think, listen, how about this? Maybe just try for one day. Forget the other six days. Maybe if you just did family devotions on the Sabbath, and that was it. Just start there. I'm actually convinced of this. We make such a big deal about daily devotions, and I think you should have it. The psalmist talks about meditating on the law of God day and night and stuff like that. But I would say this. I think many Christians would be far more spiritually healthy if they took the Sabbath and spent time with God that one day and then didn't touch the scriptures for the rest of the week. That you actually instilled that rhythm into your life first. See, that rhythm's commanded. The other ones, it's nice ideas. Plan your Sabbath. Last part of the sentence, plan your Sabbath around the restful priority of worship and then other activities that are restorative to body and soul. The restoration is for you, might I remind you, is for you and for your neighbor. That neighbor, by the way, includes your wife or your husband and your children. For example, Sundays are a great simple time for non-rushed family time. To be together as a family, right? God sits his feet up in the seventh day and enjoys his creation. You know what your creation is? Those little minions that are running around your house that drive you crazy for the other six days. Maybe if you gave them some space to hang out with them on Sunday, they're not screaming at you quite so much. To stick your feet up and say, man, my kids are beautiful. Man, my kids are lovely. 
Men, this is especially important for you. For example, right, I mentioned earlier, it's hard to know. It's hard to know how a mom, especially a mom of young children, gets rest, how she takes the Sabbath. For you men, if you work outside the home, that's your primary means of caring for the family and your wife does not necessarily, then you should actually take the primary load of taking care of the kids so that she might get time. Change the diapers, fix the meals, wash the dishes on that day. Listen, maybe you and your spouse can take turns. One Sunday, you get to go spend time with God in the afternoon on Sunday. Maybe the next Sunday, they do. Or maybe you take two hours each, but you're giving each other space to go and Sabbath with their gods. Enjoy a simple communal meal with other Christians. One of the things I've loved more than anything else about our summers the last couple of years is that because of uh, Printer's Ale being developed uh, you know, back in the backwoods of Carrollton, where they, we have this brewery, there's this land back there where there's just all this, kids should just run around. And so this summer, we started meeting with a few friends and just text them and say, hey, you want to meet at Printer's Ale? And we would have like 40 children running around. It was KCP takes the pub. That's what it, would, it was just, uh, it, by the way, by the way, there's great historical church tradition for going to the pub on a Sabbath. And, and so we would, we would go and we would just simply enjoy each other and talk about how great life is, enjoy our children. Read a good book, sit in long conversation with somebody in a nursing home, take long walks in God's creation. This is what it looks like. To, these are the routines that are restored of the body and soul. And so brothers and sisters, hear what I ask you to do. I admonish you, I call you, I beckon you for your good to keep the Sabbath day. For your good, for the good of your family, for the good of your spouse, for the good of your children, for the good of the city. There are people who haven't had a day off in months. They're exhausted. And for the glory of your God, would you take a Sabbath and spend time resting in his presence? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who is so good Lord, you're so strong and you're so powerful and that we sang about earlier. You didn't need to rest. But Lord, you teach us. You teach us how to enjoy life. And you show us what it looks like to rest. And then you give your rest to us as a great gift. Oh God, forgive us for spurning this gift. For treating it as if we don't really need it. Lord, in reality, the truth of it that's underneath our our, our lack of keeping of the Sabbath is we, deep down, really don't think we need you all that much. That we think we can gut it out. That we got this one, God. Oh, gracious God, humble our hearts. Make us long every week for this day. Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the spirit of the living God in freedom, but by your spirit, speak to us and convict us and give us creative thoughts as to how we may Sabbath well. For the good of our family and for the glory of your name, would you do that in our midst? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.